I think we need, I don't know. I feel like the energy is a little low in here this morning. Can we stand up for a second and just pray uh, for this time that we're about to get into the word and uh, believe for some good things this morning. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you and we are grateful for this time. God, let us not neglect it. Let us not look past this moment that we have right now to get in your word freely, uh, without threat, Lord, and to hear the word of God spoken to each one of us. God, let your words penetrate our hearts this morning. Give us ears to hear, Lord. And again, Father, I pray that we would value this time like, a, like our most valuable possession, that we would understand in this moment that as you sit on your throne in heaven, King of kings and Lord of lords, creator of everything, in that moment, you are also with us here speaking to us How incredible, what an honor and what a privilege, how humbling it is, Lord, to have moments like these, to worship you, to give to you, and also to receive life-changing words from you. We love you, Lord, and we give you this time wholly and completely in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, awesome. Thank you all. I feel like, maybe I just needed it, but it seemed like we all did. Amen. All right, so we're, we're into our, I think, our fourth week now as we march to Cal- uh, Calvary to um, understand the steps that Jesus took when he was here on this earth and how every step that he took was a purposeful step. Everywhere he went was intentional. And we spent the last two weeks talking about how Jesus went to unpopular places to meet unpopular people, right? Two weeks ago, Jesus went to Samaria, Right? And, and that was the fastest way to where he was going. But in that time, if you were a pious Jew, if you, if you considered yourself a religious Jewish person, you avoided Samaria like the plague because you looked down on the Samaritans. You, you thought them half-breeds. They didn't have any true religion. And so how dare you associate yourself even to travel through a town like that as a Jewish person? And what does Jesus do? He goes right to that town. And he meets a woman at a well who has been rejected among the Samaritans as a Samaritan woman, and he sets her free. And last week, we talked about Jesus going to the Decapolis, and and Ben did an, I just want to say, Ben did an amazing job last week. If you you missed it, or you just need to watch it again, I highly suggest going to our website, go to beacheschapel.com, and check out the word that he brought, because it was powerful, and it was awesome, and I can't wait for him to come share again next time. But he spoke about Jesus kind of breaking this cultural idea of going to this place, and Jesus does. He goes, and he meets a naked, chained, demon-possessed man, and he sets him free. And what I think is amazing about both of those two stories is that the Samaritan woman and the demon-possessed man both become evangelists right after that meeting with Jesus. She wins a town. He wins a whole area, right? And Jesus doesn't go to those places in, in, in the secret in the dark of night. He goes when everyone can see as to say, watch me and watch what I'm doing. His steps in, in, in his, his travel to those places were so intentional, not only to tell the people then, but to tell us now, this is how you do it. Here is the example. And today we're going to take that a step further. And I'm excited about today because it's, it's a little different. We're not going to a place that, that no one went to seek out this one person. We're following Jesus' steps as he actually goes to the disciples, And what's fascinating about the steps that Jesus takes today is that they are not on land. 
Jesus takes steps and he walks on water. And, and the story of, of Jesus walking on water is one that really almost transcends Christianity. I mean, you see this story even in pop culture all the time, but, but we don't really, whether it's, you know, in pop culture, or even in the church, sometimes we get, we get lost what the meaning really is. And I want to challenge us this morning to look at this story with fresh eyes. And I would, even, I would even go so far as to say, if this is the first time you've heard this story or read this story, you're at an advantage because you get to hear it for the first time and really understand what God is saying, what Jesus's intentionality is in taking these steps on water. And what I wanna, ask, what I wanna do this morning is I wanna ask the question, why? Why did Jesus walk on water? Why did he feel the need to do so? We're gonna read out of Matthew 14, but if we look in Matthew 8, we see a very similar story. It's what Ben talked about last week. Jesus is in a boat with his disciples and there's a storm and Jesus is there and he speaks. He rebukes the wind and the wave and, they, and it calms everything down. And you see multiple times in the Bible, in the gospels where Jesus speaks a miracle to happen. He doesn't even have to go to a place. There's, there's a few times where there's, a, there's distress in a different area and Jesus just says, boom, it's done. It's fixed right where he's at. He doesn't need to travel to make miracles happen. So then why does he walk on water? Why does he go to the disciples in their distress? And I believe this morning, what we are gonna talk about, the argument that I wanna make is that the, the point of Jesus walking on water is not so that we can see his amazing ability. It's because he has something that is about us in this story. He does it for us. He does it for the disciples then, and he does it for us now. This whole story is about us. So let's look in Matthew chapter 14. If you have your Bible, you can turn there this morning with me as we start in verse 22. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Okay, so we're going to stop right there. Because I, what, I, what I find fascinating in this, in this first verse about this story is that word made. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go as he dismissed the crowd. He made them go. It's an interesting word to use, right? Why would Jesus have to make them? Well, I think that there's, there's two reasons that I want to look at this morning as to why. And the first one is because of what we just talked about a minute ago. The last experience that the disciples had on a boat on water was not a good one, right? They're out in this storm and it's a huge storm and they, they think they are going to die and they have to wake, wake up, Jesus, wake up, save us. And they think, you know, they, they dodged a bullet. Jesus, he rebukes the wind and the waves, it calms down. And they say, who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey? Who is this man? They're in awe of him, right? And so they think that, wow, we dodged a bullet, right? And we're not doing that again, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get on the boat. And here now Jesus is saying, hey, get on a boat and go to the, like Jesus, there's gotta be other ways we can get there. And as, as if you remember what Ben said last week about the Jewish people, and they were not water people. They were not a bunch of Laird Hamiltons that just loved the water, right? And would do whatever they wanted. Yes, they were fishermen. They would go out, but they would stay about 100 yards offshore. Like, I can, see, I can see land. If I just go a little bit, then I can walk and everything's okay. Everything's good. But my profession is fishing. And as soon as I'm done, I'm going back to shore. Because, because Jewish people were not water people. They were desert people. 
right? They were desert people. And so they were used to the land. And so to get on a boat and do this again, they're like, are you kidding me, Jesus? And to the point where, listen to this, large bodies of water in the Jewish culture actually represented chaos. Like it was, it was a figure in, in, in a, a kind of like a metaphor, if you will, of, of chaos. And so for them to get on this boat was a big thing. For them to get on this boat without Jesus was even bigger. All right, because he's saying, get on the boat, I'm gonna go this way. Like, well, yeah, no, you're not, right? No, you're not, because we remember what happened last time. And so he has to make them get on this boat. But it's not just the fear of the water, it's the understanding of the relationship, and this is what we're gonna hammer home today, the relationship between the disciples and Jesus, their rabbi. And we'll go further into it in a minute. But ultimately, what this relationship was, where you go, I go. All right, where you go, I go. And so it doesn't make sense to me as a disciple of you for you to tell me go this way when you're going that way. That doesn't make any sense. That's not how this whole thing works. And so he had to make them get in the boat and go that way so that he, Jesus, could go this way. That's why he has to make them get in this boat. And so they do. It says in verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Okay, a considerable distance from the shore. It's, it's known that, that they were actually in the middle of the lake here. All right, and we've already discussed in this series that Jesus' timing is perfect. And maybe we already need a reminder of that this morning, that Jesus' timing is perfect. And he waits for them to get out into the middle of this lake so that they are in no man's land, right? They are, like the shore is equidistant around them. It's, it's far, everywhere they look, it's far. And they are at a point on the lake in their life where the only thing that can save them is Jesus. And, and Jesus allows them to get to that point, okay? So that's why he waits up right until then. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. All right, so this is about three o'clock in the morning that Jesus decide to, decides to make this venture. Now, again, the wind and the waves are going crazy. Jesus could easily from shore said, stop, calm down, chill out, whatever he wanted to say. He did not have to go out onto the lake. He did not have to walk, but there was a message in it that he wanted to communicate to them and that he wants to communicate to us. And we'll get to that in just one moment. But I think it's interesting here that it's about, you know, before dawn, th between three and five o'clock in the morning, and real quick, show of hands. Anyone ever, anyone here ever been woken up by three, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning by Jesus? He's got something to say to you. You're like, why now, Lord? You know, I was, I was sleeping really great, but it's like, this is the time. Let me tell you something. Jesus don't stop. He's always working. He is always shaping us. And he always has things. It's like, he's going, wake up. I got something good for you. I got something I want to tell you right now. And he's been doing it all the way since back then. And he will continue to because Jesus doesn't stop. 
And I'm grateful for that, that when he has news, he wants to wake us up out of our sleep. And I said, I got something better for you. I got something better than your sleep right now that I wanna tell you. Because Jesus doesn't stop. He's always investing in us, always wanting to speak to us. And so here he is doing the same thing. And he, boy, is he about to tell them something and show them something pretty powerful. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. So they're already on edge, right? They're already on edge. We're out on this boat. You know, we ain't got any help. I knew this was going to happen. I told you this was going to happen. I'm, I'm never getting in a boat for the rest of my life. I don't care. I'm done. And then all of a sudden, it's a ghost. Like, it's a ghost. And, you know, we, we, we can sit there and go, are y'all serious? But probably, you know, when, when you're at that point, you know, when you're there, like the disciples are, yeah, you might, you might just see a ghost, right? It might just be a ghost that's walking on the water, coming at you, because why not, right? Everything else is going bad. Why not throw a ghost into the mix? Sure, let's just, let's just pile everything on. Let's just pour it on real thick. Um, all the terrible things that are gonna happen to me. Does that sound familiar, by the way, anybody? It's like, yeah, you know, when things are going bad, I'm just gonna make up a ghost is walking up to me too, just because that's, that's how my life is. That's just how life is right now right? It's the wind. It's the waves. I can't see the shore. I can't swim. There's a ghost. Yeah. There's a ghost. Of course there's a ghost. And so that's what they think. There's a ghost. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. You know what I love about Jesus's response? He never says his name. He says, take courage. It is I. Because a disciple of Jesus, we know the voice of our Savior. That's all we need is his voice. And as you grow in the Lord, as you walk with the Lord, you begin to know his voice and you can differentiate in everything else from God to the point where you don't need to say, I'm sorry, what's your name? What's your name? You go, that's my Lord talking. That's the Holy Spirit that's nudging me this way and I don't need to ask a name. I don't need to see proof of identification or anything like that. I know the voice of my savior. And if he tells me to take courage and do not be afraid, then that's what I'm gonna do. I don't need to know your name. It is you, it is Jesus. He says, it is me and trust me, trust me. When you hear my voice, you can believe that it is me because my voice doesn't sound like anything else. My voice doesn't sound like the world. My voice doesn't sound like your doubt. My voice doesn't sound like your insecurity. My voice doesn't sound like your fear. My voice is me. I am Jesus and I am out on this water and I am telling you to take courage and do not be afraid. Know my voice. Know my voice at 3 a.m. Know my voice when you're in an uncomfortable position that you didn't ask yourself to be in. Know my voice and know that you do not need to be afraid. It is I. <laughs> Y'all, Jesus walks with authority. He knows who he is. And the more that we get to know who he is, the more that we can take these words to heart. It's not about questioning him. He knows who he is. Do we know who he is? And I'm gonna take it a step further. Do you know who you are in him? If you don't now, I hope you do in a few minutes. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, 
tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Okay, so interesting reply here from Peter, right? Is Peter challenging Jesus here? Is he making Jesus prove himself? I don't believe so. I don't believe that Peter is doing that, saying, Jesus, prove yourself. Like, like we heard uh, the devil talk to Jesus in the wilderness at the beginning of this series that we did, when the devil's saying, if it's really you, do this. I don't believe that's what's happening here. I want to go back to the dynamic between a disciple and a rabbi. You see, how this whole process took place is um, when you were a young boy between the ages of five and ten, you memorized the Torah. You memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. That was, that was part of growing up. I'm going to say that again. You memorize the first five books of the Bible right here, all of this. And then the best of those kids went on between ages 10 and 15 and memorized the rest of the Old Testament, all of it. And so the best of the best would do that. Now, if you got to age 10 and you memorized the first five books and you did it and it was okay, whatever, maybe you didn't do all that great, they would kind of say, okay, it's time for you to go learn your family trait now. If it's fishing or being a blacksmith or whatever it might be, whatever it was, you from 10 years, on, uh, 10 years old on, you started to adopt your family business. But if you showed promise, if you were the best of those, you would go on from ages 10 to 15 and memorize the rest of the Old Testament. You showed promise. And then at age 15, if you did it or you didn't do it all that well or whatever, then, then you would go and start to learn your family business, whatever that might be. It's like, thanks for coming, great job, but you can go on home now. And then the best of the best of the best would then become disciples. They would find a rabbi and they would apply to become a disciple of a rabbi. And the rabbis would grill the kids. And these are kids, these are 15 year olds. And they would grill them on, on everything that they had learned in the Old Testament and challenge them on, you know, all, all of it. Because the rabbis wanted to know one thing. Do you have what it takes not to just sit under me and learn from me, but here it is y'all, to do what I do. And every rabbi would have their own interpretation of scripture, just like, you know, most churches do now, and some of them are subtle, some of them are not so subtle. But they would have their own interpretation. It was called a yoke, right? That's why when Jesus talks in Matthew 11, my yoke, right? And so they would, they would have their own yoke, and it was like, it, I want to see if you can take my yoke, my interpretation, and you can spread my interpretation of Scripture. Do you have what it takes? And here it is. Do you have what it takes to represent me? because you are a reflection of me. And so there was this grueling process. And then once a, a young man was accepted as a disciple, they followed the rabbi everywhere, literally even into bathrooms. And there was actually a saying that said, may the dust of your rabbi be on you. Because literally they would follow him and the dust would kick up onto the disciples. That's how closely they followed. And so when Jesus calls his disciples, the very ones that are in the boat, thinking Jesus is a ghost, he says those words, follow me. And it's a quite literal term, but at the same time, it also means this. I believe that you can do what I do. I believe that you have what it takes to follow me and to be like me and to take my yoke 
on you and spread my yoke to the rest of the world. Now, were the disciples the best of the best of the best? No. Jesus didn't find them in schools or didn't find them applying to be a disciple to some other rabbi. He found them doing their family trait, right? To doing their family work. So they had been rejected. They had been told, you don't have what it takes. Thanks a lot. Jesus says, no, 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 follow me. You have exactly what it takes. And I believe that you can do as I do. And so Peter sees Jesus, he hears his voice, and he says, if it's you, then tell me to come to you. Because that's what the role of a disciple is. And if you're there, then I should be there. Because you told me to follow you. And Jesus doesn't say, sorry, Peter, this isn't for you. This is something only I can do. He says, come. Why? Because Jesus believes that Peter can do as he does. We, lo we love to worship the Lord, and rightfully so. We, we love and, 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 and should pray, right? And make our requests known to God. To knock and to ask and to seek and all those things. And, and we honor the Lord and we should do all those things. And we forget, y'all, we forget what God says about us. We forget that we are called to be like him. I want to read you a few verses. They're not in your notes this morning, but I just want to rattle them off real quickly. 1 John 2, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example, so that you might follow in his steps. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be like me is what he is saying. Be like me, be imitators of me. Do as I do, that is what I have called you to. So if I'm out on the water and I'm in, in, in chaos is all around and I tell you to get out of the boat, boy, come, be like me. Listen, I want to tell y'all something, and I just want to say this this morning. I believe that there is there's some of us that are in here this morning that are wearing a cloak of, of, of defeatedness, if that's even a word. You feel defeated. You feel beaten down, beaten up, bruised, all that stuff. In life, you, you are in the boat and chaos is going on all around you. And here's the sad thing. You've accepted it. It's like, yeah. Pour on the ghost too. I, I want to remind us all this morning, and I say this in love, but listen to me. The victim mentality does not exist in the word of God. Okay? It does not exist. Try and find. Try and find somewhere in this big old book where it says, I'm sorry. Life has just treated you so bad. Yes, you're, you're the only true victim in the entire word of God. You know who it is? Jesus. Because he did everything right, he never sinned, he lived a perfect life, and all he got for it was death. And he never played the victim card. So why should we then? Stop. Stop playing the victim card in your life. There's no time for it. 
There's no space for it. The kingdom of God does not have that. What does it say? It says that we are more than conquerors, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we are the sons and the daughters of the most high God. That doesn't sound like victim to me. That does not sound like victim to me. Yet, for some reason, we come to church and we lift our hands and we praise and we pray and then we walk out and we're defeated before we can even get to our car. We say, woe is me. Why is everything against me? Why is life in the world against me? Why is it that when there's a storm, I'm also seeing ghosts? Let me tell you something. There may have been chaos going on around the disciples, but with Jesus there, it was calm. What does he say? I prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. He might lead us out onto the water, just like he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. But in the midst of all that chaos, it's just surrounding us. It, there's a difference between, between chaos being around us and in us. You are not a victim. If you are sitting here this morning and you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you something. You ain't a victim anymore. You're set free. You have the greatest gift that could ever be given to anyone. Salvation in eternity with God forever in heaven where he took your sins upon his shoulders and said that victim that you were gonna be, nope, that's me. You're no longer a victim. Stop walking in it. Stop saying it over your life. Stop speaking those lies over your own existence and just, and just laying there in it like it's a wet blanket on you. Get up. Read the word. What God says about you. Because it's not that you're a victim. He doesn't die for victims. He dies for those that he loves. Okay. He goes on to say, Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? I think this is really an interesting point in the story. Peter is out on the water, okay? And it says when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And this, this, this is all over the Bible, the understanding that fear is very nonsensical. Like fear doesn't make any sense. If I'm Peter, like the wind is not my main concern, all right? My main concern is that I'm walking on water. <laughs> that, that's crazy, right? I'm walking on water. And it doesn't say that he, he looked down and, oh my goodness, I'm walking. It was the wind. Like, what? Really? But it's because in that moment, he took his eyes off his rabbi, his teacher, his savior, the one with all the power. And he looked elsewhere. And so fear crept in. And it says this, which I think is also a very bizarre wording here. Beginning to sink. You ever thought about that? You need beginning to sink. Anyone here when you're, when you're a kid or even dads now, like you're at a pool 
and you back up like 20 or 30 feet in the yard and you're gonna be funny for your kids or everyone else. You're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go run on the water here. So you take like a 20, you know, just sprint for 20 or 30 feet and you get to the water and you try and, you know, run on it. You, you think you're funny. Everyone in the world has done it. It's not that funny. And, and you don't be, you don't like tread it for a little bit. You just sink, right? Like I've never heard of anyone. Look at that guy. He's beginning to sink. A boat maybe, but not a person on water. <laughs> right? A person on water doesn't begin to sink. They plummet down to the depths and die, right? There's no like, oh, here it goes, Ah, right? That's weird. Let me think about this. (laughs) But it says that he's beginning to sink. And here's what we have to understand and remember in this story. The creator of the water is standing right in front of him. And so the truth is, Jesus himself walking on water, if we understand Jesus as creator, is not really that mind-blowing. If we accept the fact that Jesus created the water, then Jesus telling the water, support me, is, is basic stuff. And so as Peter is out there, he's also commanding the water, support him. And then as Peter begins to doubt, it's Jesus that allows him to begin to sink. But not just boom, right? Not just drop. Because the creator of the water is right there with him. The creator of you and whatever you're going on, whatever's going on in your world is right there with you. And don't think for a second that he's lost any authority just because you're afraid. He has not. He cries out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt me? Is that what it says? No. It just says, why did you doubt? I believe it's because Peter never did doubt Jesus. Why? Because Jesus isn't the one sinking. Jesus is there. He's still standing on the water. Not only that, but if Peter doubted Jesus, he wouldn't say, Lord, save me. But he still believes in Jesus in that moment. And so he cries out to his Savior, Lord, save me. And so when Jesus replies, why did you doubt? What he's saying is, why did you doubt yourself? Why did you doubt you? Don't you remember that I called you? Don't you know that when I saw you, that I saw a person that I believe can do what I do? So furthermore, why did you doubt my belief in you? I, listen, y'all, listen. Jesus is saying to Peter and he's saying to us, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe that you have what it takes. I believe in you. Yes, we believe in Jesus. But we need to understand, y'all, that he believes in us. If that doesn't blow our minds, I don't don't know what would. Because I know me. I know myself. And I can't believe that Jesus would believe in me with all that I lack and how many times I fail. He says, I believe in you. So stop doubting yourself. I called you, remember? I called you. I'm the one that said, follow me. I'm the one that said, I believe you have what it takes to do what I do. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not subscribing to this whole victim mentality nonsense that you keep talking about. I believe in you. Why do you doubt? Verse 32. 
And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I love the, the difference in the two stories of the disciples on the boat. In the first one, Jesus is asleep in the boat. He calms the wind, the waves. And their, their reaction, their question is, Who is this guy? Who is this guy? The second time, when he's walking on the water and he gets back in the boat after the wind and the waves have calmed down, they don't say, who is this guy? They say, surely he is the son of God. This is the real deal. They don't have to ask the question anymore. They've gone from asking to declaring. I want us to be a church and a people that declare who God is over and over and over again. And I'll close with these few verses this morning as we enter back into worship in just a moment. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The old is gone. The new is here. And that is what we have to understand. That is what we have to wrap our brain around. We're gonna have the band come, come back up. The moment that you receive Jesus as your savior, that old person, that person that you knew is gone. And there is a new creation that is now empowered by the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you that allows you to do things that frankly, you couldn't do before. But we have to let that old person go and stop operating as if that's who we still are. Because the truth of the matter is, you follow the world, you will sink. You follow your own selfish ambitions or own belief, you be your own leader, you will sink. But if you follow Jesus, if you accept the new creation that you are, you will not sink. You will not sink. It says here that we are, we are new and that we are Christ's ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? It's a representative in a foreign land. Someone who speaks on behalf, not as the authority, but with the authority of the person who placed you there. You speak on that behalf with that authority, but never claiming that authority. That's who we are. Not because I said so, but because that's what the word of God says. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And if he calls you to get out of the boat and to walk on water, then you need to believe that you have what it takes to do so. But you have to believe it. You have to let that old person go. You have to, 
you have to get rid of that whole feeling defeated and that you are a victim and that the world is after you and woe is me and everything bad only happens to me. I'm sorry, it's just not in there, y'all. It's the opposite. You are more than a conqueror. You are a royal priesthood. You are God's chosen. And he has called you each, all of us, by name, said, I believe that you have what it takes to do as I do. So be imitators of me. Be my ambassador. Go into that foreign land and with my authority, speak on my behalf. Pray with the authority that I have given you. Be my representative. Stop living the lie that you're a victim and start walking on water. We sing the song you hear quite a bit called Firm Foundation. It says that Christ is our firm foundation. Not that ground is, not that good footing, but that Christ is to the point where it doesn't matter if we're walking on granite, concrete, or water. If we're walking the way of the Lord, we are walking on a firm foundation. Are you believing the things that God says about you? Are you believing that he's called you, that he believes that you have what it takes to do as he does? Because you need to start right now. And I think there's many of us in here that just need to, in a, in a loving way, because this is how God is, just repent. I'm walking defeated as a victim so that he can take that off of you. And if you've never received Jesus as your savior, and you've been trying to walk on the water all on your own, now is the time. Say, Lord, I'm yours. You've done it for me. You died on the cross for me so that I wouldn't have to. He's calling you. He's calling you. He's saying, I believe that you have what it takes. I don't care. I don't care what happened yesterday. I don't care what happened the day before. I don't care that your entire life, people have told you that you're not good enough, that you're not the best of the best, that you don't have the whole Bible memorized, whatever. I'm calling you now because I see you and I believe in you. Will you receive it? be reconciled to him so that you can be that new creation. Let's stand and let's pray this morning. Father, forgive us for playing the victim for far too long when we've made it all about ourselves. Me, me, me. I, I, I. God, we're sorry. We get caught up in it. We get discouraged. We get frustrated, hurt, angry. And we forget. We forget what you say about us. We forget that you were the one that called us. And you said, follow me. Come with me. Because I believe in you. 
God, that though our world might look chaotic right now, Lord Jesus, I know there's many of us in here, if not all of us, that have been feeling that way a lot lately. Like we are in a boat and we are lost. And it's just storm after storm. And it seems like you're not with us on the boat. Father, I pray right now, Jesus, that we would remember that you are always with us, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. You always, always are with us. And that you are for us, Father. God, I pray that we would be like Peter, even as we begin to sink, that we would remember to cry out to you. Even those same exact words, Lord, save me. God, if there's a, those of us in here this morning that need to say that exact thing, that we would feel free to do that. Just, Lord, save me. Save me. I'm sinking, and I don't see a way out. God, I thank you that call us to big things. You don't have us follow you just to maintain the status quo and live a mundane life. You call us to great things because you are a great God. Lord, I pray that we would pray with that understanding, that we would pray with that authority, that the creator of heaven and earth is always with us. You were on the scene, you were standing on the water that you created and you're with us now. So let's pray like it, Father. Let's walk like it, let's live like that. Forgive us for being a victim and teach us how to be conquerors. And Lord, if there are any of us in here this morning that have never received you, that free gift as our savior, I just pray right now that those of us in here that need to would have the courage just in this moment that we're in, whatever words you give them to speak would say, I believe. I believe and I receive it. I receive the gift of salvation. And that your words would be true, that the old would be gone and there would be new life. Hallelujah. Freedom. Freedom, Lord. I speak freedom right now in Jesus' name. I speak freedom right now in Jesus' name over all those that need it, God, who have been wrapped in chains. Free him this morning, Lord. I'll let him be able to walk on the water with you again. Hallelujah. Pick us up, Lord. Pick us up. As we've been sinking, pick us up. We love you, God, and we honor you this morning, and we exalt you with our praises. Root this message in our hearts. Root this message in our hearts, God, that you believe in us and that you are with us.